some of you have been with us, I don't know, for a few short weeks, and, and um, you might have joined us in the midst of the Advent season, and you're like, how does this church go about their preaching schedule? Let me just briefly explain how we do this. We'll take a few um, weeks out of the year to do some topical-type sermons. So Advent is one of them. Uh, at the beginning of the, the fall, we spend some time going through a series called Repent and Be Loved. And I always take the beginning of January to refocus us to the mission that we have as a church. And we'll be, we'll be looking at this mission this week and then next week. And then from there, we'll get into our usual preaching schedule, which is preaching through the books of the Bible. And we'll get back into the book of Acts. And then once the book of Acts is done, we're going to be transitioning to the Old Testament and studying the book of Judges. That is how we typically go through our preaching schedule. It is important for us to get a good diet of, of Scripture and to go through texts so we're not just cherry-picking. But I'm not against cherry-picking texts. It can be helpful, especially for uh, certain occasions, which this is one of them. It's good for us to, to, to consider um, the mission of the church, and that is what our task is today. What is the mission of our church? Before you are three different biblical texts. Luke 10, 25 through 28, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and 1 John 4, 19. They are printed for you in your bulletin. You can follow along there. Um, it probably will be easier to follow along in your bulletin um, rather than skipping around in your Bible. But hear thou the reading of God's word, Luke 10, 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the, and the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now Matthew 28, 16-20. These are the last words that the Gospel of Matthew writes to us that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, into the mountain to the, which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And lastly, 1 John 4.19 we love because he first loved us. I want to put you to the test, okay? Put you to the test. What is the mission of every school here in town and around the country? What's the mission? Just give me, just, just think for a moment. You don't have to answer out loud if you want to, you can. But just think for a moment. What is the mission of every school? Simply put, the mission of every school is to educate, right? Now, there's different strategies about how to educate, but schools... Educate, okay? That's good. That's test number one. What is the mission of every NFL football team? Win. To win. <laughs> Let's win the Super Bowl. It's pretty cut and dry, right? It's pretty simple. Now, what's the mission of any restaurant? Serve good food, make good money. That's, I mean, like, you could summarize it that way. But what's the mission of the church? What's the mission of this church? We don't often think about the mission of the church, maybe broadly or even individually. We can be ignorant of it, and we can just assume it's based on 
things that we see the church doing. Because things are better caught than taught. On the surface, the mission of the church can be any number of things. We look at some churches, churches that we've experienced, and we can assume maybe the mission of the church is to grow really large and to have really neat worship and experiences. Is that the mission of the church? Or other churches that we've experienced, perhaps we would conclude the mission of this church is to care for the members that are part of this church. We just take care of them. There's this, just take care of them. Is that the mission of the church? Truly, there's a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity that surrounds the idea of the church. With regards to this, we must address it. We need to talk about the mission of the church because if we're uncertain and ambiguous as to what the church is, then we're going to have a hard time being the church. Restaurants don't struggle being a restaurant. Schools don't struggle being schools. And NFL football teams don't struggle being NFL football teams. But for some reason, the church struggles to be church sometimes. It's because we don't know what the mission of the church is. Now, I, I, I make it a point that, and the sign's broken right now, but, but, but to, to put before the church each and every week the mission of the church so that we don't lose focus of what the mission is. I want you to know with great certainty and clarity what the mission of the church is. Not only the church, but this church. And the mission of this church is very simple. Be loved and love. Central Hope's mission is very simple. It's to love, be loved and to love. So this morning what I want to do is to unpack this mission statement, to be loved and loved, so that we can with renewed vigor and clarity and conviction pursue the very mission that God has called us to. And so in order for us to take this mission with clarity and conviction, we're going to look at three aspects of the mission. It's foundation, it's form, and it's function. So let's look at first at the foundation of be loved and love. The foundation of this Mission is found in the three scripture texts that I've provided for you below or in the bulletin. And I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to, I'm going to explain some of these things. The way that I understand these scriptures are, are this way. It's the great commandment, the great commission, and the great comfort. These three very important scripture texts form the foundation of be loved and loved. So let's look at these three foundational pillars of our mission statement. First, the great commandment. What is the great commandment? The great commandment is very found here, and it's found Jesus in, in this conversation between a lawyer and Jesus. The lawyer answers Jesus' question, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love, 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 love God, love neighbor. Now, this is taken directly out of Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And, of course, we know these texts to become the great commandment. You see it there. This great commandment helps us, guide us, and gives us direction on how we are called to live. Our catechism asks us, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. What duty does God require of man? What's the great commandment say? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's one pillar, the great commandment. But there's a second pillar, the great commission. This second text, Matthew 28, 
is Jesus' final statement made to the disciple before he concludes his earthly mission. It's what we refer to now as the Great Commission. Now, I want to say that again because it's really important. Co-mission. It's a mission that we go with God on. It's a mission that we go with Jesus on. And what is this mission? Look closely. It says, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus' Jesus's disciples are called to go, to teach, to, to baptize, to disciple. And how are we to understand these things? How are we to understand that particularly, that last statement, observe all that I've commanded you? What's the connection to the first one? What is it that Jesus commanded us to do? What is, it, what is he teaching us to observe? Is it not the great commandment? So you see this foundation has both the great commandment and the great commission as pillars. They work together. The very commission that God has given to us is based in many ways on the great commandment that has been given to us in Scripture. So we've seen that to love, and in particular to love God and love neighbor, forms not only this, this foundation, but so does the great commission. But there's one final pillar that we have to see as the foundation of our mission statement. And that is the great comfort. Now, I came up with this phrase. I've never heard it outside of myself, but I needed to go inside with the great commandment and the great commission. So the great comfort we have. And the great comfort comes to us from 1 John 4, 19. And it says that we love because he first loved us. And I think this particular text does indeed comfort us because it tells us how we love and how we observe what Jesus commanded us to do. And the how is we are first loved. We love. We do the very things that we've been commanded by God to do, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, because God first loves us. We love because he first loved us. And this is a great comfort to us. His love enables us to love others. I want you to see these three texts form the foundation of our phrase, be loved and loved. They work together, and it forms this beautiful foundation for a mission that can last for a long time. I love basketball. I love um, studying coaches who are successful at basketball, and perhaps the most successful coach of all time in basketball is a man named John Wooden. John Wooden was the head coach of UCLA basketball for 27 years. He won 10 national titles, including a run of seven straight from 1967 to 1973. At the heart of his coaching strategy, or philosophy, if you will, was this famous thing called the Pyramid of Success. There are 15 different blocks that form this Pyramid of Success. Things labeled self-control, cooperation, friendship, team spirit, confidence, and so on. Throughout his coaching years, Wooden would tinker with 12 of the 15 blocks that would form the pyramid of success, but he never changed the three pillars of his pyramid. The three pillars of his pyramid formed the foundation, and he said, I'm never, ever going to touch it. These three texts are the foundation of our mission, and they will not be changed. These three texts give us a perfect picture of how we can be successful on the mission that God has given us. Be loved and love. Scripture calls us to this. And this forms our great mission. It cannot be changed. And I believe 
it creates a great opportunity for success as a church. So we've seen that the foundation of our mission statement, to be loved and loved, is established in Scripture through the great commandment, the great commission, and the great comfort. I think now, though, it's time for us to look at the phrase itself and to study the form that we have before you. Now, when we first started this church, the phrase that I used was love and be loved. A group of us, and I think there's only two people in this room that were with us on that day, we sat together in uh, my office and we talked about the great commandment, the great comfort, the great commission. And we're like, how, looking at how these three texts work together to form our, our mission and to have clarity on us. And, and, and we, we said, okay, we, we've got this be loved and we've got this love. Oh, love and be loved. Perfect. And so we made shirts that said love and be loved. You can see this, okay? It says love and be loved. But every time I wear this shirt or explain the mission to something, mission to someone, I, I would find myself having to clarify things. It's junk now, and I'm going to tell you why it's junk. I would give it out to you, but I don't want to give it out to you because I'm about to explain because the form is very important. Every time I would explain our mission statement to someone, I would qualify it with, you know, it's love and be loved is our mission statement, but if you really want to know the truth, the first most important part is to be loved because we love because he first loved us. Being loved precedes loving. This is the form that we've concluded to, and the form that we had before communicates the exact opposite of the gospel. The good news, the great comfort. The great comfort says we love because he first loved us. And most people have it backwards. That if we are going to be loved, we've got to love. We've got to do our part. Now, I'm really grateful that um, we changed the slogan and then Kay Jeweler came out with their Love and Be Loved campaign. <laughs> they did. And I was like, I am so glad that we got rid of Love and Be Loved because I don't want to be tied with Kay Jeweler. And <laughs> we changed it to Be Loved because one of the things that I think is so important for your understanding of the church is that the first and foremost calling of us is to humbly receive the love of God. And yet this is perhaps the greatest challenge of any Christian, is to receive the very love of God. Our love, let me say this, our love isn't the reason we are loved. Our being loved begets loved. The church is full of problems, lots of them. And our church certainly isn't exempt from it. But of all the problems, I would argue that the greatest problem in the church, here and elsewhere, is believing that the Christian life is in essence love and be loved. Do what God wants from us so that we get what we want from God. This is the way of the world. But the, but the most important thing that we have to realize is that the form be loved and love is the very form that we are all called to be. To receive the very love of God and allow that to transform our lives. The form of our mission statement is vitally important. Being loved comes first. So that's why our statement will always read from now on, be loved and love. So we've discussed the foundation of be loved and love, how it's rooted in three of the most foundational texts in all of scriptures. We've looked at the form of be loved and love, and how it's vitally important to have be loved before loving, how being loved precedes love. But it's important for us now to 
to, to think and consider the function of this mission. How does be loved and loved function practically? Let's look at this. Now next week I'm going to spend a lot of time uh, speaking on the function of loving God and loving neighbors. If you will, there's two parts of our uh, a mission statement, be loved and love. Next week, I'm going to spend a considerable amount of time on what does it mean to love God and what does it mean to love others. But for our time that we have left this morning, we're going to look at the function of being loved. Look, love is an endearing word held by most of us, even by the world. The world whispers it. We whisper it to our spouses, our children. We write love to our, our friends. But many of us struggle to pin down what exactly love is is. One of the simplest ways that we describe love, though, at Central Hope is this way. If you want to jot down notes and little phrases that we'll say here at Central Hope from time to time, we define love here as a process of meeting needs. So when we say that God first loved us, what we're meaning is that God has met our needs. He met our needs, and this is love. Now, of course, we're, 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 we're being very particular about our needs. And of course, our greatest need as human beings is, in, is to be in relationship with a holy God. This is the greatest need that all of us had. But there's a problem that we all have, and that is our sin. An unholy people cannot be in the presence of a holy God. But God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. See, he gave. And he met our greatest need to be in relationship with God, a holy God. By taking upon himself our sins. We read it in Isaiah 53, 6. It was pronounced over all of us to have confessed our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The triune God chose to take upon himself our sin that we might be brought into the relationship with the holy God, the unholy made holy through the great sacrifice of Jesus. You see, he meets our needs. This is love. This is real love. It's not this emotional, mushy-gushy, oh, I love you so much. That's, that's, that's part of it. But it's real, tangible love. It's a love that meets needs. And so with this idea of a love being a process of meeting needs, we have to think about how this functions. And there's three things that I want us to practically think about with regards to needs. The first thing that is, is, is perhaps functional for us to be loved is this, to know your needs. If you don't know your needs, I'm going to say this, if you don't know your needs, you cannot be loved. You will not have the experience of love because love is a process of meeting needs. So you got to experience love, you got to know your needs. Now, this is far more difficult than you realize. And I'm going to speak to two reasons why. First, you are ignorant of some of your needs. You don't know all the needs that you have, guys. Yeah, you would think about food, clothing, shelter, jobs. Those are legitimate needs. You know those needs because you go and you feed yourself and you put clothes on you and you live under a shelter. You know those needs. But there are other aspects of your needs that you are ignorant of. And I'm going to speak to this in just a second. But there's a second reason why knowing our needs is, is difficult. Not only ignorance, but deception. We don't always see who we are 
correctly. And we often live in isolation of one another. You will hear this phrase often said around these parts a lot too. If you were deceived, would you know it? Think about that. If you were deceived, would you know it? You can think, my life is good. I got it all figured out. I'm happy. I have what I need. But do you? Ignorance and deception are two of the biggest killers to knowing our needs. But if we're going to be loved, we've got to know our needs. Now, let me speak briefly. I'm going to give you two examples of how we are to think about our needs to address the ignorance that often comes with knowing our needs. And then I'm going to give you a practical, functional tip for how you cannot be deceived. First, let's, let's address the ignorance. This is really simple. I want you to think about three different areas of needs that we all have. All of us have physical needs. You know that. All of us have emotional needs. And all of us have spiritual needs. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. Think about life in those categories. And begin to ask yourself, where am I needing in these categories? It's helpful. It can address some of the ignorance that plagues us. Secondly, how do we address this deception? Well, we address the deception by living in community. The reality for us who can easily be deceived is that we need to live in community so that other people can see how we are deceived and called out in us. Being around people can easily expose us to the areas of need in our life. People can inform us where we have been deceived and call it out in us. And this is important for the life of a church. If you want to be loved, you've got to know your needs. But if people know your needs, you've got to show up. Uh, I'm going to pick on the acres, but I love both Brandon and Kaylee. They have like a little saying. I don't know if they say it anymore, but it's stuck with me. Uh, if you want to come up, you've got to show up. Okay? You've got to show up. If you want to experience love, you're like, that church isn't doing anything for me. Well, when was the last time you showed up to church? When was the last time you showed up to a community group? It ain't the church's problem. It's your problem. you got to live in community. If you want to develop, and, and look, trust is a huge part of people being like, hey, I'm going to speak truth to you. But trust doesn't just happen overnight. You know that, right? Trust takes time. Trust develops over meals. It develops over playing board games, discussing deep things, discussing funny things, laughing together, living together. If we're going to be loved, we've got to live together. Not live in the same houses, but we've got to do life together. So that when we are deceived, people can go, hey, I'm going to call out this out in you. You don't know that you have this need, but it is real for you. And you know what? It'll be, you'll be angry at first, but then typically when someone calls you out your deception, after you've spit and cursed and not wanted to chew, you'll rise up and call those people blessed. You say, oh, that person's loved me. So friends, we've got to show up and, and live in community if we want to address the deception that plagues a lot of us if we're going to know our needs. If we're going to be loved, we've got to know our needs. Know your needs. But once you know your needs, here's the thing. There's the second part of functionally being loved. You've got to share your needs. Sharing your needs is a very risky endeavor. Because you will never know if the person next to you is going to receive those. 
someone tells you their deepest, darkest secret, and it's a bad one. This is hypothetical, totally hypothetical. The, the, the chance of, of, of your face revealing something is probably pretty true. Let's just take it's a really bad situation. Hey, I murdered somebody. Your face is probably going to go, okay. It's risky. Uh, obviously, that's, that's a big step. Um, <laughs> never anyone in this church. But sharing your needs is risky because you don't know what's going to happen. Many of us have, have experienced moments in our lives where we've shared a need and we've been rejected. And that leaves lasting scars. And it causes us to be reluctant to share our needs with one another. And so in not sharing our needs, then we don't experience love. Because love is a process of meeting needs. There's a, this a phrase, I cannot love you if you don't allow me to. You've got to share your needs. So as you're living in community, and as you think about the different aspects of our lives that where we have needs, it's important for us in the midst of a trusted community to share our needs and therefore experience love, to be loved. Now, I think what's beautiful about the church is that there's two different ways in which we experience love. We can share our needs first with God. You know that, right? Read the Psalms. The Psalms are rich poetry of, of the psalmist pouring out his heart for God. I was reading Psalm 73 today, and it is, it is a psalmist who's like, I am envious of the rich. Like, he's pouring his heart out. He's just, he's letting it out. Do you share your needs with God? You can, you know that, right? You, you, you know that when you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive your sins, right? Share your needs with God. But share your needs also with one another. This is not easily done. We have years and years of scar tissue from sharing needs and being rejected. But we must learn to trust one another. We must. Following the footsteps of our God who loves us despite our own sin. This helps having established trust though, my friends. You will share your needs with those you trust. So again, laugh together, eat together, study together, do life together so that you might build trust and then share the needs that you have that you might experience love. The last thing I want to encourage you to do as we functionally live out, be loved, is to give thanks. Not just to know your needs, not just to share your needs with God and others, but to give thanks to God and to others for the ways that you've experienced love. You know what happens when we receive love naturally? Like, it's not something you have to teach at all. Thanksgiving bubbles up. I'm telling you, Thanksgiving bubbles up when a genuine need that you have is met. You, you cannot help it. it, it it's part of it. Uh, it's, it's always a fascinating thing as I raise my kids. You know, we teach them to give thanks. We, we shouldn't have to teach to give thanks. We do because we think we're entitled to everything. Every one of us does. And so we don't give thanks when, we're, when we think we're entitled to something. My kids think that too. We're spoiled, we're spoiled and rotten. I don't know what that says about me, but I probably something bad. But when we genuinely receive love, thankfulness bubbles up in us and we cannot help it. This place should be a place of great thankfulness and joy. And the reason for that is because we've been loved by God 
in mighty and beautiful way. And we've been loved by one another in beautiful and lovely ways. Now, from my perspective, I think this place is a place of thanksgiving. But this is how we functionally live out this being loved. So we know our needs, we share our needs, and we give thanks. It's why each and every week we have songs of thanksgiving and adoration because we're responding to the great love that God has had for us and the love that we've experienced together and giving praise to the one who has brought it. Oh, friends, we give thanks. It's a beautiful thing. In the 1800s, Fyodor Dostoevsky, the Russian writer, wrote the following words. Deprived of meaningful work, man will go stark, raving, mad. It's one of my favorite quotes. I heard it in college. Deprived of meaningful work, man will go stark, raving, mad. I think a lot of the churches that I've seen, maybe even been a part of, they're going mad because they've lost sight of the meaningful work they've been given us. They might chase large numbers, crowds. They might chase just taking care of the members inside the church. And, and, and if you will, you know, metaphorically, the church is going mad. People are leaving the church like this is lifeless. There's nothing here. Because deprived of meaningful work, man will go stark, raving, mad. But with our mission statement of be loved and loved, what I want you to see is that we don't have a statement where there's not meaningful work. We have meaningful work in front of us. And the very work that we've been given, that's been founded on the scriptures, that has a unique form with particular functions, is to be loved and to love. Friends, I don't know what the opposite of stark raving that is, but I gotta imagine it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I'll let your imagination go with that. I think it's life, joy, laughter, it's beauty. It's people pursuing meaningful work. Be loved and loved, church. This is our mission. This is what we want every one of our ministries to be about. Be loved and loved, creating atmospheres, for people to have their needs known, shared, and met. Oh, I'm grateful that this church has continued to be that way, but let us not lose sight of this mission, that we might pursue life and have it, and have it full. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, we give thanks that your scripture has not left us without a roadmap for how we are to live. The church, indeed, can be a very difficult easily uh, chasing after different things in this world, but your scripture is what guides us. And as we've looked, it is your scripture that is calling this church to be loved and to love. I ask, O oh Lord, that you would keep our eyes focused on this mission, that we might be a church full of life, full of joy, full of thankfulness, full of love. Oh Lord, would you do this for the sake of your glory and our good? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.